The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to True Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network. I am Stephen Heiner, joined today by Nicholas Wansbutter. Nicholas, how are you? Oh, not bad. Enjoying some vacation? Well deserved, well deserved. And uh, we are, after 26-some shows, uh, finally coming back to do our Zero show. Uh, Those of you who are listening to us, maybe for the first time, True Restoration is part of a network of shows here on the Restoration Radio Network, and the object of today's show is to tell you how all of this came to be in the first place. And um, I would, I would say it probably starts with Nicholas Wansbutter and his blog Traditio in Radice, which which is no longer available to the public. But uh, Nicholas, can you tell us a bit about this blog, and and then I'll explain to to our listeners. Um, how how that connects to true restoration? Sure. Well, um, uh, Tradition Radice, uh, our first post was on May the twenty second of two thousand five, and it was a joint effort uh, between with myself and another gentleman named Nicholas Nicholas Trandum, uh, who I'd met him early into my uh, trad version or coming towards tradition. Uh, on a Catholic message board, he was. A, I think he was the only traditional Catholic on that forum, and uh, so we got to talking, and then eventually we decided to do a blog together because at that time there was a real shortage of traditional Catholic blogs. I think we were really one of the first ones, um, so we decided, or at least that of the Rad Trad brand, and actually that was our address. It's called Tradition Radice, which is the uh, tradition. To the roots, essentially, um, but the address was radtrad.blogspot.com. So uh, we are taking it from the a lot of cultural, historical uh, kind of stuff, as well as the talking about what was going on in the church and talking about some devotions. Actually, a lot of the same sorts of things that we discuss on uh, Restoration Radio. So uh, I had my first encounter with tradition back in, I guess it was uh, 2004, in the summer of 2004. No, I guess it was even earlier than that. Maybe it was 2000, uh, yeah, it was 2004, and then um, I, that was with the Society of St. Pius X, and then I was uh, kind of coming towards tradition. I mean, it's not a uh, an instantaneous change after the first encounter, and then by 
the spring of 2005. Uh, I was uh, fully in tradition. I mean, I got married in the uh, at a society chapel in June of that same year, so just shortly after the blog began. And uh, yeah, that's the that's the tradition in Radice, and it was uh, oh uh, going strong for several years. I can't even remember exactly when we. Uh, decided to uh, shut it down, um, but it's been a few years now. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a very well done blog. Um, I, I enjoyed what was on there. I, um, I, my first encounter with Nicholas, I, I didn't know him personally, was through the comment section, where I would either heartily agree or, or get into a comments battle. Uh, with you know some of the the more novus ordo or uh, you could say conciliar church um, readers, and actually you know made a friend of of one of those. I wouldn't call him exactly an antagonist of Nicholas's, but someone who um, didn't entirely agree. How about that? And um, and as I was reading Nicholas's blog, I thought you know I, I love writing. Um, I love everything Nicholas is talking about, um, but he. Um, he covers some things that, that I don't have as much of an expertise in, but there are some of the things that I feel I could probably write about that are not being covered there. And it's presumptuous of me to, to say you need to cover this more when I figured he was already doing it part-time. And so probably that whole summer was the first time I really was exposed to uh, the sort of traditionalist blogs. As, as Nicholas was talking about, he was a real pioneer. There was a, 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 a so-called League of Evil Traditionalists that was neither a league nor evil nor, nor traditionalist, probably really. But um, Nicholas was probably the, the most evil slash traditional in that entire league. Um, but I don't even know if that's still around, the League of Evil Traditionalists. But there was a group of blogs that, that I don't know, there's something in the water that year because uh, fall of that year, October, Rarate, Chaley, and I, a true restoration, we got started um, ourselves and very much aligned our, from the beginning, wanted to make sure people knew we were aligned with Tradition and Roddy Shane. I think we had Nicholas guest blog at least once or twice. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think I, I think I may have guest blog for Tradition and Shane on Americanism sometime. Um, yeah. But we, we wanted to one. make sure that we were, yeah, <laughs> sure it was real popular. Um, we we wanted to make sure that we were aligned from the beginning. And I think it was just because with Nicholas, I, I really, there was a kindred spirit there. Uh, Nicholas is um, much stricter than I am, and I appreciate, you know, fraternal correction frequently from him. So it was, it was nice to have that um, there. And, it, it, you know, one of the miracles of the Internet, you know, you can, you can in this age of, Sort of desolation that you can find traditional Catholic friends on the internet of all places, and and Nicholas is one of my closest friends, and um, and we met on the internet, so that was how True Restoration got started. I think I was, to be fair, I was inspired by Nicholas's work, um, and I saw a space that I thought I could do a pretty good job in, and I moved into that space, and the next year, um, in 2006, was. Uh, when I did my interview with Bishop Tissier de Malloray, which uh, garnered a lot of worldwide attention, um, which got the attention of Bishop Williamson, who reached out to me. I went down to Argentina to interview Bishop Williamson for The Angelus, who I was writing for at the time. I had three or four articles published in The Angelus in 2006, and uh, struck up a real 
relationship, a real collaborative working relationship with the bishop, and I agreed to be the publisher for his books, and thus began a series of rolling out books. So started a publishing house. I, I tell people all the time it was it wasn't an accidental starting, but it was really at the beginning simply to to publish the bishop's works. I had an idea of publishing other Catholic works in the future, but I thought it would be quite enough to publish four volumes uh, of, of just the bishop's work. And at the time, I would say Nicholas and I, Nicholas, fair to say we were fully in the Bishop Williamson camp. Uh, how, how, how can I put that? We we didn't agree. We, we, we have maintained that we have always never agreed with everything Bishop Williamson has said, but we, we very much agreed with a lot of what he had to say, especially, I think, as relates to Traditio and Radice and True Restoration, the idea of integral Catholicism. And for those listeners who don't know what that is, Nicholas, can you tell us a bit about what integral Catholicism is? Well, uh, quite simply, as the name implies, I, it's a integration of one's faith into all aspects of life. So it's not just, as Bishop Williamson would say, uh, having one's life compartmentalized or and just uh, having one's religion as a, a nice uh, little ceremony that one goes to on Sunday to make oneself feel nice. Um, and, well, I mean, of course, that's being the other extreme. I think there's even a, a more of a middle ground where people take it more seriously, but they still don't think that Catholicism has any place in political thought or one's economic thought or in the way one dresses is probably the, the number one hot topic that that I was always able to uh, draw the most uh, flames uh, for uh, <laughs> writing posts on on the topic of clothing, um, but. Uh, to, to go with another person whose uh, writings uh, I enjoy quite a lot, Dr. Horvat of Tradition in Action, uh, another person who uh, I, I would would definitely not agree with on everything, but uh, sh- uh, she has a very good talk. To, is there a Catholic way to do everything? And her answer is yes, there is a Catholic way to do everything. And I think that is integral Catholicism, that, that idea that there is a Catholic way to do everything and trying to do everything in a Catholic way. Yeah, and I we've stated before on the show that we're at True Restoration and at Restoration Radio, we're very big fans of Dr. Horvat, and we hope one day possibly to have her as a guest on, on our shows. Um, yes, I, I think that that, for me, is the line, Nicholas. If, if someone says integral Catholicism, my response would be, there's a Catholic way to do everything. And, and for... For some people who don't quite understand that nuance, the idea isn't obviously that the church has a manual for how to do everything, you know, how to how to eat a hot dog, etc. But the idea is there's a, a guiding set of principles by which Catholics um, apply uh, their their method, their way of interacting with others. There, there's a there's a way to do things um, that isn't that isn't a set way, but it has there's an ordering principle behind them, and I think that that's something that we took very seriously, and it really resonated with Nicholas and I, and I'm sure probably for different reasons, but I think that's what drew us to, to Bishop Williamson, because at the time we weren't acquainted with Bishop Dolan, Bishop Sanborn, so we didn't know that there were other bishops out there, Bishop Pivrunis. We didn't know that there were other bishops out there that were really 
giving this message of integral Catholicism, Bishop Williamson was the most vocal, he was the most well-known, and we definitely gave him a platform. And that probably led into Dinoscopus. Um, that was something that uh, I had encouraged the bishop to do towards the end of 2006. I had, I had told him that he needed to restart his letters from the rector, because the entire reason that we had the book to publish was because the bishop, when he was rector of the seminary before he was, we could say, fired, um, was writing a monthly letter. And the, the monthly letter was a fundraising letter, but it was usually about different themes about integral Catholicism, you could say. And, and I think the important thing is that when the, those letters from the rector weren't coming out anymore, there wasn't, I mean, other than places like Tradition and Action, there, there wasn't anything really out there on a regular basis coming out on those topics. Right, absolutely. And he started to do some things here and there. They weren't really organized. Angel Queen at the time was a forum, and they had him do something called Thoughts, uh, which we uh, ended up including um, in some, we ended up republishing some of those on True Restoration. But he did four or five of those. And then, as I was encouraging him to do it, Father Kenneth Novak at the Angelus also did. And he did letters from Lareja. I think he did four or five of those in the Angelus. Surprisingly, I don't know how they got past the censors at the time, but probably because Father Novak hadn't yet been, um, shall we say, moved <laughs> from his job as editor of the Angelus. Which is a side mm -hmm. note, you remove the native English-speaking editor of the Angelus who's been doing it for decades and replace him with a non-native English speaker, uh, there's, there's a question there. But that's, that's for another time. So anyway, Father Novak had made sure that letters from Lareja were there. And I think finally Bishop Williamson had kind of got his groove back and he decided to do a weekly newsletter, which I put out through constant contact to a mailing list. And did that for some time until the pressures from my personality in relation to the newsletter were too much. And Nicholas at the time, even though he was well, I, I thought he was relatively well known among traditionalist blog circles, he wasn't well known enough that uh, there would be immediate suspicion if, if he took over as editor. Uh, what people didn't realize is that Nicholas, as I said already, was stricter than me. So if people were worried about my radicalism, um, they had no idea that this, this man had a blog called radtrad.blogspot.com. So Nicholas took over as editor. And again, I think and, and, during this time period, we, I think, Nicholas, you had transitioned to another blog at this point, right? Yeah, um, yeah I just actually looked up uh, the archives of tradition in Radice, and that was shut down in about mid um, 2008, and I switched, yeah, June 2008 is when we uh, shut that down, although the last real post was, uh, yeah, same month, and I had then switched over to writing at Durandal with, uh, with another friend who I'd met in a similar fashion to how I, I met Stephen, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever... Uh, uh, we we hit the the ground running in in 2008. So yeah, and, and you're talking about strictness and that, Stephen. Uh, I'm just looking at some of our uh, beginning posts. Uh, well, let's see. We started out with in uh, we've got posts condemning uh, democracy. We've got uh, <laughs> uh, a po yeah a post calling the Magna Carta the shameful charter. We've got uh, uh, attacking American conservatives. <laughs> so 
it might be, uh, I mean, that's pretty mild. I mean, I mean, when you think about it now, actually, Nicholas, I mean, obvious. I mean, I think it's obvious to us. Our journey is such that, of course, the Magna Carta is is a bad, is a horrible document. Uh, of course, democracy mm-hmm. is a sham. But I think that's the journey. When when people first hear that and hear us laughing about it, you know, the idea is, oh, you know, these. Uh, Neanderthal, closed-minded tyrants, and the idea is, you know, you might want to look it up and do some reading about it. If your exposure mm-hmm. to the Magna Carta, to democracy, or whatever, is the history that you were taught in high school, which probably wasn't very good anyway, then you're probably not qualified to have an opinion on it. It's something that, that Dr. Thomas Fleming, who uh, is the editor of Chronicles magazine, has hammered home to me many a time that... Americans have this idea that they have a right to an opinion, and he's of the mind that, no, you don't. And, and in fact, you have to qualify to have an opinion on something by actually having read and done some research. If, if the only reason you have an opinion is because you, you, that's, that's how you feel about something, that that's not really uh, an opinion, and that's something you should kind of keep quiet about and listen to from people who have. And that's a philosophy I think Nicholas and I have very much taken to heart, that our idea is... Uh, we want to have done the research and reading behind something. One of the reasons we've never done a show on Twilight or Harry Potter is because while we are suspicious of what's going on in those books, we didn't feel like we could really write an article about about them without having read the books. And given that there are so many other things to do than read 900-page books on magic, uh, we we've never done a show on it. But but we appreciate when, when someone has gone in there, I think one of the articles that Nicholas is very fond of is a very, very long piece that Attila Sinka Gomares did on The Matrix. But Attila Sinka Gomares watched The Matrix. He watched all three of those movies, and then he wrote this really long, very good article. And that's something I hope we'll get to in a future show, um, probably next season, talking about that that series of movies. But the point is that when we think about you know the stuff that Durandal was covering, and hopefully the things that we were also covering at True Restoration, the idea was, look, we used to be of the same mind that you. We just accepted what we were told by the modern world. We didn't know how arrayed it was against Catholicism, and we just we just took people at their word instead of going back and actually um, looking it up. That's, a, that's a, a tone, a phrase, an idea that is a big part of everything we do at Restoration Radio is look it up. We try to do that by giving you the shows, giving you some impetus to look it up for yourselves, then not just to believe whatever we're saying, but but mm-hmm. sometimes that shocking that shocking headline is what you need, isn't it, Nicholas? Yeah, yeah, it is. But um, just to go back to our timeline with uh, Dinoscopus, or see, I pronounce it differently. That's the Canadian pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, eh? I, 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 I think the uh, reason, well, my views are, were perhaps a little stricter. Some might say more extreme than yours, but perhaps the reason I was able to fly under the radar is I hadn't really gotten involved in Society of St. Pius X politics, whereas I think you had skirted into that. Well, although on the other hand, now that I recall, we both did kind of companion posts uh, when uh, Maximilian Craw did his hatchet job on Bishop Williamson, I did mm-hmm. a post on Durandal right the same week that you did one on True Restoration. 
Yeah, and but, we had. I think we cross-referenced the post. I think I referred to your post uh, mm-hmm. on our blog, and I think you referred to to mine. But yeah, I mean, clearly we were on the same page. I mean, if if anyone had any kind of brains, the idea that Juan Sputter taking over. D- Dinoscopus in the Canadian pronunciation uh, would have any difference um, were wrong. In fact, they didn't realize the stricter regime had just moved in. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and, that, and, and that was fine. I mean, it was fine for me because, as I say, you know, the fact that Nicholas is stricter than me just provides for a lot of good conversation between the two of us. Um, we were just sharing with uh, with Justin Soder, who's one of our new collaborators, someone we're very, very grateful for, who's who's part of our team, he had not listened to our Olympic show, and I had referenced the fact that Nicholas had taken me out to the woodshed on the Olympic show, and um, but that we, you know, here we were disagreeing quite a bit on something like the Olympics, but we were still able to collaborate, and I think that's one of the challenges of traditionalism and why I think why I'm, I think I'm extremely grateful for, for Nicholas, but also grateful for True Restoration, is that we've always striven to collaborate despite disagreement. And I think a lot of people in tradition, uh, faithful, clergy, etc., have the notion that we can only collaborate with someone if they totally agree with everything we think. And this is just a false notion. The idea is, if someone's saying something good, let's back that. And let's promote that. And if it's something, you know, educational and wonderful, let's back that. Uh, as far as agreement, goodness, you know, I can't even, we can't even get agreement on pizza toppings sometimes. I don't think, I don't see how we're going to agree on a way forward in this crisis. And right. I think, and, and I think the, the distinction time, needs to be, so the distinction ahead, needs to be made between, uh, you know, agreeing on matters of faith and agreeing on things that are maybe more application of the faith to. Uh, everyday life and things that haven't been ruled upon by the church. And I I think some people don't make that distinction, whereas I think that's something that we try to do at Restoration Radio. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and moving the timeline forward, that was something that Nicholas and I had continued to do some reading and research on behind the scenes. So back in 2006, I had revealed some time ago that the interview I did with Bishop Tissier, he had mentioned, and in fact, I always point out, like, it it was accidentally a good interview. I had really just asked him some basic questions, and then towards the end of the interview, he sort of hijacked it and, and and, and basically talked about what he wanted to talk about, and I just became a mouthpiece. But during that part of the interview... This was at the time when I was audio recording the interviews and then uh, typing out the audio transcription. So he had said the word heretic, I don't know, ten times uh, in the interview. He called Benedict XVI a heretic. And uh, when I sent, at the time, my practice on an audio interview, I don't do this anymore, obviously, because video interviews are video interviews, and you don't need to send those for correction. But I sent the audio, I sent the transcript of the audio to Bishop Tissier. He was in Oregon at the time, and he sent back the corrections. And one of the corrections was he removed heretic and changed it to professed heresies, which to me wasn't that big of a difference, but I'm sure... In the PR world, uh, Bishop Tissier had been had his hand slapped once or twice by Bishop Fillet at that already in 2006, and so he changed it to professed heresies. But the, for me, I would quote unquote the damage was done insofar as I was my world was rocked that a bishop, a man who I respected quite a bit, would call 
who I consider to be the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth, a heretic, that that was world-changing for me. I, I wouldn't realize the implications of that world change for many years, but what happened in 2006 was the very next day, the very next day after the interview, so I did the interview on Saturday, I sent an email out to Father Anthony Chicada because he was a famous set of a contest, and set of a contest for me was not an option. I mean, that's not that's not serious um, because I was very much within the Society of Saint Pius X, who who to this day very much preaches the idea that their way is the right way, and everyone else is either to the left or to the right in error. Um, which, of course, we think, especially here at, at Restoration Radio, we think that that's not that's not the correct view. Um, is a charitable way to put it, I suppose. But at the time, it was a big deal to me. To, to How could the Vicar of Jesus Christ be called a heretic? And that started my whole series of discussions with Father Chikata and a long series of looking things up, reading about the fact that Pope Paul IV foresaw that a heretic could be named uh, Pope, um, and he wrote ex, uh, Cum Ex Apostolatus Officio, which outlined the procedures for what would happen if a heretic were to be elected Pope, and the, sh- the, the long and short of it was he, he wouldn't be elected Pope. Uh, he would be prevented from becoming the Pope. Uh, he who is not of the body cannot be the head. So it isn't uh, something fantastic that was just made up by Father Chikata and his cronies. This idea was foreseen by a Pope himself, and he had written a document talking about what could happen in this case. So um, for me, that was a long journey. 2006 to 2009 um, was when I was doing the reading and research behind what set of a contism was and what it meant to me. And Nicholas... uh, Always, I, and this is probably, Nicholas, part of being a lawyer is you have to look at all the evidence, I think, mm-hmm. within your profession. And so it seems perfectly natural to you. So, well, if set of a contest won't stand up, all these articles will be terrible. And, but I knew that Nicholas, like myself, had also been part of the society, so there was a bit of resistance there to reading some of this. And I had... Um, and I had been interviewing instead of a contest priest, and I was already getting flack for doing that uh, because I was giving these, you know, these priests a platform for their their messages, which which I thought that was hilarious. But uh, at the time, we were compiling some articles and just putting them into some order. And I had sent these articles on to, to Nicholas. I said, "Can you? We're arranging these in a particular order. Could you proofread these for me?" And of course, my backup plan was, you know, I'm presenting this to Nicholas as a, a proofreading thing, which was true. We, we we did need that, but I also was hoping for his feedback. I wanted him to tell me, you know, Stephen, you know, this article is horrible, and uh, and here's why because I, I'd really come to trust him and collaborate with him, but. Um, that didn't come. In fact, Nicholas said, <laughs> "Nicholas said, uh, do you have any more articles for me to read?" And um, <laughs> what, what, what do you, can you can you talk about that a bit, Nicholas? Just just looking through those articles from traditionalmass.org and and how that started to move move us in the direction we moved. Well, the thing that that really stands out in my mind from when I was going to those articles is the extensive footnoting. And as you say, the evidence. And you know, again, I, I you know I think of kind of think of Bishop Williamson, which is a bit ironic on this topic because um, this would be one of the topics that we really disagree with Bishop Williamson. I don't think he applies uh, the the method that he preaches to this particular topic, where he says, you know, it's not the feelings or whatever; it's the the evidence that that's uh, that's the key. And that that was what really set those articles apart from all the stuff that I'd read in the Angelus. I mean, the Angelus has footnotes and that, but I mean, like, a Father Chicada article, 
in the ones I was going through, they would be 10-page article, and six of those would be the article, and four would be the footnote. <laughs> right. Um, you know, versus a nine-and-a-half-page article with half a page of footnotes, which is probably a, a fair average for a lot of the society things that, that I'd read. So that was what... Uh, the thing that I really noticed, and I'd looked at Sedevic Contism a little bit earlier, and I remember back in uh, 2006, 2007, having conversations with you, Stephen, where you were saying, like, am I going crazy? I want, you know, uh, what what do you think of this stuff? And, um, uh, you know, I'd read it a bit then, but, I, you know, I remember reading the Society of St. Pius X booklet, um, Set of Contism, uh, a false solution to a real problem. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that, and it didn't really make much sense to me, but I just kind of, oh, well. You know, I did the, well, Bishop Williamson's smarter than me, and Bishop Tissé de Mallory's smarter than me, so I've got other things to worry about right now, so I guess I'll just go on with that. But which, then, which, 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 to be fair, Nicholas, we hear that a lot of times. You know, people say, I, you know, and, and you know this more than I because you're raising children. People say, you know, Stephen Nicholas, I... Uh, I've got kids, I've got a job, I've got a lot, you know, I don't have time to study these theological matters. How would you respond to them? Because they might have said the same thing you did, you know, like, ah, Bishop Williamson, Bishop Fillet is smarter than I am, you know, I'll leave this, to, I'm outsourcing, I'm going to outsource my brain to them. Well, uh, it's a, it, it is a, I mean, there's a legitimate, uh, I don't know if you call it a complaint, there's a legitimate objection there of not having enough time. And it's true, you can't study absolutely everything. But this is an important topic, and I don't think there's, in, in this day and age, maybe in a more normal time, it would be, I don't know if it's ever completely possible to just uh, give your brain over to the clergy. Uh, I think it's always a duty of a Catholic to make sure he's informed in the faith uh, himself, and uh, and I think that's clear when you look at the, the church history, and I've just finished reading A, a Life of St. Pius X, and how big he was on catechesis and Catholics knowing the faith. So I don't think it's ever, you know, argument one, I don't think it's ever been enough for any Catholic in history to just, you know, I'm not going to bother studying something. I'm just going to, you know, hand my brain over to the clergy. Um... And this I is what happened in Vatican is, II, isn't it? This is this is what happened well, in the sixties. Yeah, exactly. People thought, oh, fa- Father knew more than I did. It's just the Latin yeah. Mass translated into English, and we're watching the whole comedy play over again. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And and that's where I, I come to the next thing. Well, you, you know, you've already to be even be a traditional Catholic in the first place, be it at Society of Saint Pius the Tenth or even an adult group. To even be there, you've already you know gone against some you know much smarter people like you you know. Really, like you know, Benedict Sixteenth, Joseph Ratzinger, he's way smarter than I am. <laughs> that doesn't mean he's right. Yeah, I mean, the man's written what twenty books. He's he's the foremost theological mind of the twentieth century. Some have said so. Yeah, yeah sure. And that's I think, easy. Yeah, and and the one that really hit me was Father Chicada's article that he wrote for the Remnant, where he makes the the argument that all traditional Catholics actually are set of a contest. They just haven't they just haven't realized it yet. And I go back to that, and I, I guess that's kind of my strongest argument. Really, if you've gotten to where you are right now, you don't need to study a whole lot to figure the rest of this equation out. 
because you already yeah, no, are sitting in the contest. You just need to figure, you just need to come to that realization. And I've had that argument with certain friends. I say, well, look, who who are your children confirmed by? They weren't confirmed by the local ordinary. Well, why not? You know, do you do you even know who your local ordinary is? Do you you know <laughs> why don't you do what he tells you to do? If you're saying that he, that you know, uh, Jorge Bergoglio is Pope Francis and that all these bishops have their jurisdiction from him. How come you're not, you know, you don't have anything to and do with and, your local ordinary? Yeah, we're going to get... Uh, I, I want to be careful because we could definitely talk about this topic for about an hour, just, just this entire uh, swamp, right. actually, that I can think of. But I, I want to I add one layer to what you were just talking about and say, this isn't just a, this isn't just a layman problem, is it, Nicholas? We have clergy who will say, well, Archbishop Lefebvre was never set of a contest, ergo, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought about this, this is just uh, crazy, because... If you look at the Great Western Schism, and again, anyone who's read Catholic history doesn't really look at this current crisis and think that it's ridiculous. Because the Arian heresy, you have St. Jerome talking about 95% of the – and we're probably at, what, 99.5% of the church is, 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 in her, is in heresy one way or the other. Well, you know, during the time of the Arian crisis, there was a reference to 95%. So it isn't, it isn't unheard of. It isn't unheard of that a large number of people who are professing to be Catholic are actually in heresy of some kind, whether they know it or not. So, uh, and I think that's probably where Nicholas and I came from. We came from mm-hmm. a place, where, at least personally speaking, I could say I was Novus Ordo for 17 years, but we were conservative Novus Ordo, so we didn't even we didn't even know what we didn't know. So the idea of a priest saying, uh, "Oh, I don't," you know, Archbishop Lefebvre was smart. He's like, "Well, Archbishop Lefebvre is a man." Okay, and and even if he was a saint, saints can be wrong. And the famous reference is the Great Western, Western Schism, when Saint Vincent Ferrer backed one of the three candidates or claimants, you could say, and Saint Catherine of Siena backed another. I mean, could you imagine? Pretend that there was internet at the time. Could you imagine the forums where you have Saint Catherine of Siena's supporters arguing, and you have Saint Vincent Ferrer's, you know, and how crazy that would have been? You know, you're trying to make an argument because someone's saintly, they're right, and that's not true. That's not supported by any doctrine in the church. That's simply a sentimental feeling that you have. It's not right. backed up by anything the church teaches, and it's wrong. Yeah. Right. It's a wrong way to conduct yourself. And at the time, referring to what Nicholas was talking about, uh, we were still, could you say, disciples of Bishop Williamson? We were, we were very strong supporters of Bishop Williamson, and so we wanted him to tell us that this was crazy. We wanted him to say, because we were, we were corresponding with Sedevacantus Priest, and we were learning and learning more. It just wasn't an overnight process. I, I, I said, for me personally, it was a three-year journey, and I referenced right. this and in an article I wrote some time back. Yeah, and for myself, um, it was... Probably a probably a similar length journey. Although uh, li- li- my journey kind of started after Stevens, so we weren't going through this process at the same time. Actually, which I think is something worth pointing out because a lot of people listening to this would probably just think, "Oh, well, Juan Spencer and Heiner are buddies, so that's why they're both set of a contest." Or you know, or Stephen influenced you know Nicholas. Uh, I mean, actually, other than you giving me those articles, Stephen, you didn't do any proselytism at all. Like you didn't do anything of trying to convince me to be a set of a contest. You gave me those articles. I chose whether to no, read and them or not. No, and I think I I went on my own journey actually because, as I recall, I don't. I, uh, I mean, we discussed it a bit, but I don't think we discussed it a whole lot until I was already well down the path, and and I'm talking to you saying like, well, you know, this stuff, this stuff makes a ton of sense to me because at that time you were extremely busy with your um, with your uh, your business. 
And we actually didn't have right. as much contact during that time period as we have over the last couple of years. Yeah, no, and I think I think the reason that I didn't, and to this day, I probably am not the most uh, people, you know, might think this, but I'm not the biggest apostle of Sedevacantism. I've even, there's articles on true restoration saying Sedevacantism not re- required for salvation. But I think the reason I didn't is because I was so horrified. I had always thought, and being a Catholic, you're raised your whole life to love the Pope, love the person of the Pope, and I, I was on stage, uh, just to show you, you know, people, you know, might be scandalized at this, but in the year 2000, I was on stage, maybe about 40 feet from JP2, and I started, I was with the Legionaries of Christ, I was sitting with them, and I started to chant, Viva il Papa, and he heard me, and he turned, he turned to the right, and we were chanting, you know, at the end of a, a papal, you know, Novus Ordo Mass. So, you know, I come from the same place that any good Catholic does, love of the Pope, love of the office, uh, in fact, a certain dulia, a certain worship, not, not quite dulia, but a certain worship of the office. So, um, and someone labeled us neo-ultramontanists lately, and I, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'm happy to, you want to call me an ultramontanist, uh, Nicholas and I would be happy to wear that label, but for... For me, I, I didn't think that I, I tried to, quote-unquote, convert you to Sedevacantism. And this was something that Dr. White, you know, in one of our last interviews, he was very – he already had known that I was a Sedevacantist at the time, so I was very surprised he even gave me the interview. But uh, that he said, well, you know, Stephen, they, everyone, you know, who becomes Sedevacantist becomes obsessed by this. And I said, Dr. White, you know me. You know what I've always been trying to do at True Restoration um, – it's not uh, it's not going to change and suddenly become you know all set of a contest all the time and I think and I hope that that hasn't changed since I've you know I I, I quote unquote publicly came out in 2011 uh, on an article I wrote on the SSPX as being set of a contest and that was two years after I had sort of privately come to that conclusion again by writing to my friends asking for clarifications and I wrote to society priests I wrote and one of those I suppose we can reveal today. Um, was Bishop Williamson's Mentevacantist error, which was written by Father Chicada, I think in response to some of the questions that I had for him, but also in response to uh, some of the things that Bishop Williamson was saying at the time. And so Father Chicada wrote um, wrote an article article called Bishop Williamson's Mentevacantist error, and I'll put that up on Twitter here in a little bit. But it's on traditionalmass.org, and the thesis, I, I could just summarize it here, it says, um, Father, so he's talking about the 1980s, Father Williamson explained to me his theory about why John Paul II could not be a true heretic, and hence could not automatically lose the papal office, as said of a contest like myself contend. Half of John Paul II's brain is liberal, and half is Catholic, he told me, so he doesn't really know that what he says is not Catholic. It struck me as a perfectly loony idea then. A modernist is not responsible for heresy because he's a modernist, and I christened it Mentevacantism for vacant mind. And so, um, this was a, I mean, obviously, the article was written, I, I don't want to say for Bishop Williamson, but it was completely about Bishop Williamson. Uh, when that article came out, I sent it to Bishop Williamson and said, you know, my Lord, Your Excellency, if you can refute this article, I suppose I, I probably won't be a set of a contest. But if you can't, I don't see how I wouldn't have any other conclusion. Because, I mean, Sedevacantism is simply a conclusion as to how to deal with the current crisis. This isn't a way of life. It isn't a faith. It isn't a movement. All it is is an intellectual conclusion that that ties things together in, in the most Catholic manner possible. And I handed the article to Bishop Williamson, 
and he tried over a period of four months to write a refutation, and he, and he just stopped trying at one point. And for Nicholas and myself, I thought this was rather uh, a, a big blow that if, if Bishop Williamson, who was someone who we supported, as I say, on a lot of cultural, integral Catholic issues, couldn't address this doctrinal issue about the problem of the Pope, then that might that was it. I, I didn't see any other uh, any other answer. Bishop Williamson himself couldn't answer the article that was written about him. What did you think about that, Nicholas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a had a similar thought, and at that time I was still, I suppose you could say, on the fence. I hadn't uh, uh, definitely committed myself to the idea that the see of Peter was vacant, but that was definitely a, a huge blow because. Well, it, it really cuts to the heart of it. goes back to the whole, well, I'm not smarter than Bishop Williamson. And I'm like, well, Bishop Williamson can't refute this. So, if you can't refute yeah, it, absolutely. then, you know, that is a pretty strong indicator that Father Chiquette is right. And and also, I wrote to Bishop Williamson as well, pointing out to him, saying, like, well, my lord, if, if he's too insane to know right from wrong to know Catholicism from not Catholicism, then doesn't that also make him not the Pope by virtue of insanity? Because that's right in canon law. And What was um, his response? I, I didn't get, he didn't respond. Uh, he responded to other things in the letter, but I don't... Uh, there was, he didn't... He kind of just sidestepped uh, that one. And I and I suppose that wasn't that wasn't the final blow for you, Nicholas. I think the final blow was probably the study that we did uh, leading up to a Restoration Radio show. But we should probably again get into the story of Restoration Radio. We mm-hmm. um, Nick, Nicholas and I met a, a colleague named um, Dr. Pierre's Hugill, who was a, a similar uh, of similar mind about Bishop Williamson, and he was out in London. And so in 2009, I went out to go to do the first video interview with. Uh, Bishop Williamson, my thought is, all right, he's been fired from Winona, he's been fired from Lareja, and he still needs to have a voice, and so I went out there to do a video interview with him. Well, I was out there in 2009 the first time, that was when I had my first chance to meet um, Pierre, who's a a good man, um, and very thoughtful and very studious, and we started collaborating in sort of back-channel ways about uh, the the books, the four books of the bishop and, and future possible works. And he was just a great um, person to bounce ideas off of and correspond with. And, and he also befriended Nicholas. And as time wore on, I had in my mind that there was the next thing. So we had done the blog. We had done uh, print interviews. We had done uh, video interviews. And I thought that we've got to find a way to to get out to more people. And the video interviews, you know, people have said before about the charge for them. The charge for the video interview simply covers my travel and production costs. I, I don't, I'm not a video expert, so I have to have someone do the post-production and high HD rendering onto the web for me. So I have to pay those out. And very often the costs of when we charge for a video interview, they barely cover the cost of travel, which was fine. I never imagined that True Restoration was going to pay my bills. It was always a hobby. Um, I'm always very, very cautious of those who are trying to make their living off the church at this time. It's in such a crisis. Every dollar needs to be put towards um, towards the restoration in some way or another. And I think it's on most of us to have jobs, uh, regular jobs that don't rely 
on you know donations and um that's that's another conversation as well but at the time uh i wanted to do something bigger i thought i researched something behind online radio production i'd done some research on blog talk radio and i presented the idea to nicholas and pierce because i had said the only way i can do something like this is if i have help i cannot i cannot create a radio station produce the shows and execute the shows without help. And thankfully, I mean, I, I to this day, I'm very grateful that Pierre, who was living in London, who, who still lives in London, and Nicholas, who was living in Canada, were willing to collaborate with this guy who was living in Kansas City. And we, we put together Restoration Radio, and we had our very first broadcast uh, in March of 2012, last year. And it was uh, it was definitely a higher level. It was something I, I suppose that catered more to Nicholas and Pierre's and I's thoughts. We did it on monarchy and Neoplatonism, and we realized after that show that we needed to be a bit uh, a bit less <laughs> scholastic, a, a bit less um, scholarly focused in our topics. And I think that yeah. was part of the first pivot so, of the show. Not so esoteric in the topics. Yeah, well. absolutely. I mean, Chris, Christian Neoplatonism, it is certainly a worthy topic. Is it a worthy topic for a radio show? Mm, it's uncertain. And that's when we had our first pivot on, on what are the types of... And we had the entire season planned out on what we were going to do for topics and and how we could collaborate across all the different time zones, especially with our clerical our clerical guests. And one of our you know, your top 10 most listened to shows of all time, which, as I said, was maybe the denouement for Nicholas's journey, was our Vatican II show that we did with Bishop Sanborn. And we had to get a special upgrade to our account to do a three-hour show, and we covered six documents. And Nicholas had two documents. We each had broken it up. Pierre's had two, I had two, and Nicholas had two documents that we had to extensively read and research and then have prepped for Bishop Sanborn, who I have to say was a total champ and just basically got interrogated for three hours um, by, by different, you know, we were just tag teaming coming in and out um, on those documents. And I think Nicholas was, am I right that that was the end of the journey for you? Um, well, no, I think I'd already reached somewhat the end before then um, because the real turning point for me was the renewed discussions between the Society of St. Pius X and the Vatican uh, of 2012, um, and I mean, I'd already been leaning that way. I'd already read these things, but when that happened, my reaction was like so violently opposed that I stopped myself and said, "Well, wait a minute. If this is the vicar of Christ on Earth, how can I be so strongly, you know, not want to have anything to do with him?" to the point that I was even opposed to, a, you know, the no-strings-attached deal that Bishop Fele was uh, trying to claim was uh, was in the offing. So then that's when I took a real hard look at everything all over again and, um, you know, re- read from both sides. But by that point, that was when I really realized, well, look, I am a Sedevic contest. If this is my my attitude, and then is that the correct attitude? And then, I mean... And I guess the Vatican II show just solidified it, because one of the documents I had was uh, Dignitatis Humanae. And if you listen to that show, you'll hear me say, uh, many of the documents are long, bloated, and you don't have a clue what they're saying. Um, 
uh, I forget what was the other one was the other uh, document that I covered. It wasn't as memorable because I remember thinking that my IQ had dropped by ten from having read that. <laughs> you did God, you did Gaudium Spes, I think. Right. <laughs> Whereas uh, Dignitate Humanae, it was ten pages, crystal clear, and absolutely opposed to traditional teaching. So. Uh, may, maybe you could say that was like the, the final, final nail in the coffin where I'm like, this is clear. Like, this is. And, at this, and also in the prep for the show, I read the uh, Fathers uh, Radecki's uh, book, um, Tumultuous Times, that covers all of the ecumenical councils of the church. And, uh, you know, reading that and seeing what happened and reading about all the anti-councils and seeing that one of the things that always set apart a true council from an anti-council was whether the Supreme Pontiff gave it his approval. So given the clear heresies in at least one document of Vatican II documents, and I think we established in that show that all six of the ones we covered have... Uh, some real contradictions with the Catholic faith in them. The, the, you know, and, and the, the, I, I was just further solidified in my position, and to the point that I was at that point prepared to do my own coming out of the closet in quotes, um, because that show was really the first time that I'd publicly voiced the opinion. Part of you know, I, I didn't. Not that I made some big declaration. I've I, I've never been a huge fan of the declarations that you see online from time to time from certain personalities. Of saying, you know, I declare that, you know, <laughs> declare define. <laughs> yeah, that uh, you know, Francis by my is by not my layman's pope. authority. <laughs> but I, I wasn't a fan of that. I mean, I'm. This is just my. Uh, opinion, my uh, interpretation of the facts, I suppose. But um, Right, and, and, and we had, and by the way, uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to True Restoration number zero on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm Stephen Heiner, along with Nicholas Wansbutter, and today we're talking about the origin of Restoration Radio and probably the backstory behind Restoration Radio, which, which was True Restoration, Nicholas's original blog, Tradizio and Radice, and, and past, present, and we're going to talk a little later in the show about the future. And I posted on Twitter both the article uh, we re- referenced, Bishop Williamson's Cement of a Contest Error, that's been posted on Twitter, as well as the Vatican II show that Nicholas referenced. Uh, I posted the links to those on Twitter. And uh, I think going back, I had referred to the sort of swamp issue, and I think what Nicholas has said is, has set us up really well for probably the distinction we have here at Restoration Radio, which we, we try to make very clear in the way that we put things out. We're about putting out Catholic content. For us, the idea is that there has been a huge disaster, and again, I'm referencing Dr. Thomas Fleming, but the idea is a dark age is what you make of it. So we can sit here and complain and go on forums and talk about, I think, Nicholas, you referred to someone, someone calls him casual Frank. I mean, I, I can't even say that seriously because someone who, who considers themselves, quote-unquote, a faithful Catholic, who, who considers Francis the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth, they refer to him as casual Frank and they think that they're Catholic. is just hilarious to me. But the, the idea is we know that something bad has happened. Our idea is to educate people about Catholicism. 
because that's how we got into this problem in the first place, is people just abdicated their their minds to the priests and said, well, Father knows what's best in the 1960s, and suddenly Vatican II and the Novus Ordo come in. And we're never going to let that happen again. I think that if you look at Justin, Nicholas, myself, we're all people who came over from the new Mass. We're never going back to that. And we know that it's an alien right. We know that it's not Catholic. So I think sometimes this is a weakness of people who are born into tradition. They're very complacent about it. They don't know what they don't know. And so the idea of true restoration is educate people about Catholicism, and by that education, they will figure it out. They will figure out what the path is. For us, the Novus Ordo Church is not the Catholic Church. We don't have any wish to be united with it. We don't consider its claimants to be valid popes, and so we are not trying to be schismatic from the pope because he's not the pope. But that being said, it doesn't mean that we can't intelligently and thoughtfully encounter people who disagree. And I think that was always the stereotype is that, you know, set of a contest are these frothing, flaming, crazy people. And I think exposure, people have had a chance to listen to Bishop Dolan, Bishop Sanborn, Father Chicada, and they found out that they're not raving lunatics. They listen to you and I and Justin on shows numerous times in which we are talking about Catholic things and set of a contestism isn't mentioned because for us that's not that is not our guiding light. That's not how we live our lives. Our lives are we want the Catholic faith. We're not going to give, we're not, we're not going to do anything but Catholicism, and that's our focus. And so for us, mm-hmm. I, I would say Sedevacantism is not the focus. Catholicism is the focus. Sedevacantism is through the lens by which we look through the current crisis. And we hope that as we talk about these things, that we encourage people to look them up for themselves, read, reflect, pray, talk to people about it. Right, you know, call in, you know, ask questions. We have plenty. I'm always impressed. I, I, me- I mentioned this to Nicholas on more than one occasion. We have non-Catholics, Novus Ordo Catholics, and SSBX Catholics who listen to our show, and I think that that speaks to what we do. We're trying to do something Catholic here, not something that's partisan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if I guess if we continue along with season one, uh, we are kind of left off with our pivot we made after the the first episode and right. uh, how we progressed from there. Season one was, uh, I think, a, a really good season in, in a number of ways. It revealed to us uh, what you, the audience, like to hear about, and we can reveal that now. You like to hear issues about the Pope, you like to hear issues about the crisis, and you like to hear issues about current events. Those are the three things that are most listened to at Restoration Radio among all the topics we do. Now, this isn't to say that the Sacred Heart isn't listened to or the the Kingship of Christ. Those are very listened. I think they're the top of the second group of, if you'd say, the top ten shows in the second top ten. You'll have things like the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Reign of Christ the King, that sort of thing. But we also found out there are things that were not at all popular. We did, um, Nicholas and I did a show on Snow White and the Huntsman and also on the Hunger Games, which we thought would be sort of garnish a big listenership because we were appealing to a broader group, and that wasn't the case at all, and, and that was actually part of the impetus to move Nicholas's show, which was uh, Swords in Space, which you know we were thinking it was a, a Catholic science fiction show, and we realized it was really a science fiction show hosted by a Catholic, and we moved that onto another network that um, had just come on the scene, AMDG Radio, and we moved... Uh, we moved that show to that network. It was the first show on that network, and it's done very, very well over there. I think it has a very good ongoing listenership. But we found out that people who listen to our our station, uh, as we developed out 
uh, as we as we went through season one, we found out what people liked and what we didn't like, and it was a big part of how we planned out season two. And one of the things we did with season two, uh, Pierre's, Nicholas, and I all divvied up, you know, who was going to produce the show. And you have to keep in mind the difference between producing a show and doing a show. Producing a show means you do the research, you write the show outline, what we would call the show plan, and uh, you arrange the guests, you pick the time, you, you arrange all of that. And then the producer might be different from the person executing the show, actually hosting the show, but oftentimes the producer and the person hosting were, were the same person. But sometimes it would be that someone else would do the production behind it and someone else would end up hosting the show. But the strength was having three people. About midway through the season, we lost Pierre's for personal reasons. Um, he, he couldn't continue on with us. And as we said, it's always been a cha- it was always a challenge for us to communicate through the different time zones, with him being six hours ahead of Nicholas, Nicholas was even an hour ahead of me, we were always trying to get on Skype. Both of them are married with children. Saturdays happen to be a good day. Um, in the Wandsbutter household, there isn't a lot of television, and so um, if Nicholas was on a conference call with us, the kids would kind of crowd into the room because there was this fascinating video presence. So it was a challenge for us to communicate, but I think also uh, there were just some personal issues for Pierre, so he had to pull away from, from what we were doing. And Nicholas and I continued on. Justin Soder, very providentially, who'd been a longtime listener and supporter of True Restoration, had come on board, and, and we'd corresponded enough to where, you know, we we worked through some issues, and we talked about him maybe starting to produce some of our shows, uh, do some call screening, and then he, he ended up, now he's a host of three of our shows on the network, so... Um, huge shout out to Justin. He's been he's been a great part of what we're doing here, and I think many of our listeners are very grateful for what he's been doing. So we went from one triumvirate to a second triumvirate pretty much right away. And, and right now we're in we're at the end of our season. We've got uh, we're ending our season at the end of the liturgical year, so at the end of November, and we're already looking ahead at next season. And I think obviously we'd love to hear your thoughts on you know topics you'd like to, to have covered. But Nicholas, if you look back on you know our last last season and, and this season so far, what do you you know what are your reflections on what we've been doing, how people have re- have been responding, and what we've been covering? Well, uh, I mean we've been covering a lot, and uh, that that has been a response uh, because we have in response to requests from listeners because we have had people uh, ask for certain things and. We try to meet that. Um, the re- I think the response has been overall good. I was just thinking when you're saying about you know people listening to us and realizing that we're not you know frothing at the mouth, you know, set of a contest. I, I know that's a. Re- I still have lots of friends, and this is the same place the tenth. I've you know by no means tried to cut me off, and none of them have cut me off. Um, and I, I know a lot of people have had very kind of pleasant surprise reactions about the St. Gertrude the Great clergy that we've had on because they, they we've all been kind of led to believe that, that they're just nutters and, uh, you know, to, to hear them gives a different, uh, a much different impression. Uh, I, I, we, although, and just on that point, uh, I guess that's kind of the only thing that, uh, I mean, I... I really, really appreciate the uh, St. Gertrude the Great clergy. Some people sometimes wonder why, like, is this St. Gertrude the Great radio? 
<laughs> why, why do we always have them? Um, and I would just say it's because it's so difficult to try to get other clergy. Most just don't have the time. Uh, I mean, uh, we'd like to have CMRI clergy on. Uh, I go to a CMRI chapel, so it's not that we have anything against them. But, I mean, the CMRI priests, you think besides St. Pius X, priests are overworked. You haven't seen anything to seen the type of schedules that they <laughs> That they pull. I mean, at my chapel, the priest there was at a chapel in Michigan where I believe there was a school that he was running, and he'd do mass there in the morning and then drive six hours to do mass in the afternoon. And then he was always telling us because he spoke, he was one of the few CMRI priests fluent in Spanish. He'd always go with Bishop Piverunas when he went down to Mexico. And um, uh, this priest, I guess he being one of the more senior priests, he also seemed to be the one one of the ones they'd call upon when exorcisms needed to be done. So he'd be off doing that as well. Um, so I mean, <laughs> there's no way. Yeah, the CMRI like do a lot of exorcisms. I was visiting Los Angeles this weekend, and I went to one. And Father Dominic Radecki announced from the pulpit that they had just finished the solemn exorcism and it had been successful. It's one of those really sort of fascinating things I'd love to do a show on in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I just w- w- would mention that because I know that's a question that's come up a bit, and we'd like to get other clergy. Um, it's just difficult to to find clergy that have the time. Not that the St. Gertrude the Great clergy have a whole lot of time either, but I suppose they're not moving around as much. They're not doing the big road trips quite as much as some others, so that frees them up a little no, bit more. I, I, Right, and I've talked to Bishop Pivrunis about this before. I was up in Omaha about a month ago, and I, I mentioned this to him. But they're very committed to the idea that every priest says three Masses on Sunday. And the bishop himself drives seven hours to Minnesota after doing the 10 a.m. Mass in Omaha. So, and that's not, I, I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to change the bishop's mind, like, hey, you, you all need to work less so you can appear on our radio show. But we are pretty actively working with the CMRI on, on actually a CMRI-hosted show for next season. That may come together, it may not, but we're working on that right now. We've been in development, uh, pre-production development on that for the last, I don't know, six months. So um, we also have Charles Coulomb, I think, who's an incredible gift. Um, He's someone who just knows a little bit about almost everything um, in, in Catholic history, and it's been really great to have him on. And he's one, you know, he's Someone who you know it's part of our a part of our cost, you know, when people say, well, you know, what what are the contributions for? It's not you know to work on Nicholas's yard or you know Stephen's fruit trees or anything like that. We have production costs for being on Blog Talk Radio. They charge us for being on this platform. We also try to pay stipends whenever possible to our clergy when they appear. Uh, as injustice because we're taking their time. Same thing for our lay guests. If someone like Charles comes on, we try to pay stipends out there too. The idea isn't everything's for free. I think sometimes this, I think it's a problem with our era. Uh, In our era, so much is available for free online, newspapers, a lot of intellectual property is available for free. And so people have this entitlement that everything should be provided for free. And if I really love the faith, then I would do it for free. And the issue is it's not an issue of not loving the faith. It's um, this this business, what we do, and what Nicholas and I, you know, we put together, this is a, we want to have a self-sustaining operation. We don't take salaries from it but we want it to be able to pay for itself. We also have volunteers who help, um, and sometimes we want to send those volunteers a stipend for their time. We don't just feel people should just be giving us our time, their time without without any kind of compensation. Nicholas and I both own our own businesses, so we, we, we feel strongly about making sure people get paid for their time. And I think that that's when you... And, and those contributions really have ramped up. I, I have to thank the listeners for that, but I think as... 
we've shown that we're not a flash in the pan, that we're not just going to be here and gone tomorrow, that, that we're trying to build something long term, that those donations have been increasing. And I suppose this is as good of a time as any to let people know if you do want to donate, you can go to truerestoration.org and scroll to the bottom. There's a donate button there. And part of what we're going to be doing next season is we're going to talk about a premium version of the membership in which you have access to sort of uh, personal shows, private shows with our guests in which you get to ask questions um, that, that are not shows that aren't going to be on the air. And you'll have a chance to interact with our guests. Um, but we have a lot of exciting things planned for season three, in fact, uh, we'll be having a meeting later this year before the end of Season 2 to do a, a planning meeting for Season 3. Um, the planning meeting for Season 2 was in November of last year, and it was uh, Pierre's and I were in London, and I think we were on Nicholas with Skype. And it was like a two-and-a-half, three-hour Skype session as we planned out the entire season. So it'll be something a little bit easier this year. <laughs> we're all going to go yeah. to uh, the frigid, the frigid northern... Uh, haven of Nicholas and uh, and work on planning out season three and, and all the things that we're really excited about. And I hope that, I'm sure it comes through, I hope it comes through in our programming that we're very excited and passionate about what we're doing here. And I think it's because we have the opportunity to, to reach so many people. For some reason, you know, blogs and even, even YouTube, um, they're not as easy to listen to as a podcast. A podcast it, you can put your can you can you know my sister uh, other people have told me you can just put it on your your you know smart device and you can be doing laundry or you can be doing dishes and you can be listening to a show you know by Bishop Dolan or hosted by Nicholas and you don't have to be looking at a screen or you can put it in your car you can you can stream it so I think it's so much more portable we can reach so many more people than we've ever reached before and it's been success we've had. Um, Motu, you could say, indult imitators of our even even of the inside the the idea of a network where we have a network of shows instead of just one single podcast. So uh, you know, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So I, I think we're obviously doing something right if we if we've created an indult imitation of what we do. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to tie that back into uh, just some last thoughts on season two, I I think. As you say, we've proven we're not a flash in the pan. I think season two has been the one where we've really kind of consolidated and solidified ourselves in the the whole uh, internet radio presence, as well as uh, expanding quite a bit. And yeah, I I feel that we're much more stable going forward, and that this isn't going anywhere uh, in terms of not going away. Or not disappearing. Right. And I think we, we're finally going to be able to have, I think, one of the reasons we we steered clear of the more controversial topics in the beginning. So you notice uh, we've never had a, a show on clothing or <laughs> modest dressing because I think that's the sort of cliche expected topic. So let, let's go for the hot topics first. And I think the idea for us was we, we very much wanted to establish our credibility with our listenership first that – what is the way that Restoration Radio goes about dealing with issues? What is the way that we go about thinking about issues? And and if people could see our process, then once we got to the more hot-button issues, hopefully they'd be calmed down enough to say, all right, all right, I have an opinion on this, but I'll listen to these guys give their opinion without, you know, foaming at the mouth first and, you know, uh, dresses, pants, skirts. I mean, uh, don't even uh we don't even and I'll give you a perfect example the pra- in the practical order with Nicholas 
I tend to dress uh, when I'm out during the summer in a bit more of a casual way. Nicholas is is, is much more, um, how could I say, thoughtful about his dressing in, in terms of how it relates to the big picture. Well, when I'm around the Wandsbutter household, I have to be dressed up more. So I remember we went to I, we we took the kids we went to Niagara Falls and I was in khakis and and a collared shirt. But you know if it had just been me, I would have been in shorts and a t-shirt. But and that's a discussion for another day. Nicholas will tell you about you know why that's totally inappropriate dress for me. And I think it's I think it's a conversation worth you know worth having because the fact that you can see Nicholas and I can disagree on what most people I I think they consider it to be an article of the faith. You know whether there's pants or not. You know this is an article of the faith, and I think that. You know, people can get really lost in the weeds about about that. When it all goes back to what we were trying to do originally with Restoration Radio, is we're going to try to teach you the faith um, through the clergy, not because we as laymen know anything, but because we want to feature clergy, we want to bring them out and and hear and let you hear them. Because Nicholas and I have had a chance to interact with them because of our work. We we blog and we're involved in this, so we get to talk to them. But you haven't had a chance to talk to them, and so. Having the radio show is basically letting you in on these private conversations that we've always had a chance to have. And and once you have been educated by the clergy about what real Catholicism is, then applying Catholicism to specific situations like dress, that makes all the sense in the world. And I think that's that's why maybe in season three you're going to see uh, t- you're going to see those kinds of topics. You're going to see something about. Uh, dress. You're going to see something about a topic that has been a big part of Nicholas and I's own own life, relocation. You know, what's the question of getting to a Latin Mass? If you're having to drive hours and hours to get to a Latin Mass, at some point you need to change that so it's not so difficult. Or do you? You know, we're, we'll have a discussion, we'll have a show on relocation, on how that's worked out for people who've done it. We'll have guests on people who've actually relocated. And, you know, we'll, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. But uh, that that's a show that, again, once we've established enough credibility with what we've done, then it makes sense. So I think season three, you're going to see some, perhaps you could say hot button issues will feature a little bit more of because we've, we've covered a lot of stuff now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although we haven't had the summit yet, so that's why we can't give you a detailed... Uh, account of what we plan on doing next season. Exactly. Um, so I think if we have, uh, <coughs> excuse me, if we have anyone who'd like to, to give us a call and, and chat about uh, what we've been doing, our telephone number is 949-272-9417. Again, that number is 949 949- Two seven two nine four one seven. It is the middle of the day here in the in the United States, where we have a lot of our listenership. So, you we may not have any any callers uh, who have a chance to call in. Uh, otherwise, you can also uh, write us on Twitter at True Restoration. Uh, mention your question or your comment, and we'll try to answer them. Um, while we're looking at that, I think the other comments I would have for people who are wondering where we're going with True Restoration Press, True Restoration Media, the blogs, uh, I'll speak for myself first and then I'll ask Nicholas. I think for us with True Restoration Press, we definitely want to move forward with publishing Catholic books. I think the challenge is a lot of people don't read anymore. And 
going through the process of publishing a book, it, it's almost a, a heroic work. T.S. Eliot once said, if you want to lose a lot of money, get into publishing. And I can speak from experience, despite having sold out of everything that, you know, pretty much almost everything that we've ever published, that it's still, you. there's a lot of capital outlay and you've got to wait a while to, to recover that working capital. So, uh, when when we're looking at what Restoration Press might do in the future, we're looking at bringing some out-of-print books maybe into an electronic publication, so maybe in a Kindle edition. And we have another really large four-volume work in the hopper, um, which we can't really talk about right now, but that's, that's ongoing. True Restoration Media, we're hoping to continue. Uh, we we're, are looking at maybe 10 to 12 video interviews a year that we'll make available to our annual subscribers, and then we'll probably make four or five of those every year available for uh, a la carte download. But that's been, that's been uh, more successful this year than it's ever been, and I think people are starting to get that. You know, you have to pay for these interviews in order to fund future interviews, and that's where that money goes. The money goes to cover the working capital that did the interviews in the first place, and then you put those interviews online, recover those funds, do another interview. It's, it's a giant pay-it-forward cycle. But True Restoration Media, True Restoration Press are not uh, – they're definitely not cash cows in, in terms of uh, paying any kind of salary. They, they are – what we are trying to do, create sustainable organizations. If, if it leads to us having a surplus, we're usually going to put that into the apostolate. We'll either bring in another host, uh, bring in another uh, paid guest, and have people on – uh, to expand our network, because the big vision, if you if you haven't if you haven't guessed, the big vision over time is to make sure that we have content on almost every day available for our listeners. That there'll be a, there'll be different shows on different topics, and not every show is going to appeal to everybody. Everything is going to be about Catholicism, but the idea is with the free time, with the manual tasks that you have to do during the day. What if we could teach you a little bit about Catholicism every day through our guests? That would be the big vision for us. And so season three is going to build on the legacy of what we've been doing this season, which is establishing stable shows and then adding on little by little to those shows until we have a giant network. So we're not in a hurry. Aggressive as I am in business, I really take a long view with True Restoration. Um, as far as blogging goes, we're I think that's something I, I actually will be getting back to a bit more as my personal uh, time has been realigned. I'm Nicholas, I know that Durandal... And, I rad trad's a bit more obvious. Those of you who don't know, Durandal is the sword of Roland, uh, which, if you know Nicholas, is is a big part of of, of his interests, his history, and, and particularly military history. But uh, Nicholas, uh, I think Durandal has also has also moved on. And do you have any plans to do any kind of blogging? Well, um, actually, uh, Markham S and I have been in uh, discussions about reopening Durandal. And uh, we'd like to see if we, if we can make that happen. Um, it's not particularly easy, uh, given that your uh, free time is being realigned to the positive. Uh, mine, his free time tends, <laughs> tends to be uh, realigning to, to the negative, as in less free time. We both have growing families. Um, but we are looking at trying to bring Durandal back. It probably won't. Be, we're not going to be trying to post as frequently as we used to. We used to do a post or two every week. We'll probably be more of a post, one or two per month. Um, but I think between that and uh, my work on Restoration Radio, and then 
that's my own personal hobby of the science fiction writing and that over at Swords in Space. That'll about do it for my time. No, totally get that. And I think that's one of the other challenges of Restoration Radio. We are on a shoestring budget. We have a shoestring group of hosts, volunteers, and guests. And I I definitely, if we haven't done it already, I want to make sure we thank everyone who's been part of Season 2, Bishop, uh, His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Father Anthony Chicada, Father Benedict Hughes, CMRI, uh, Charles Coulomb, all of these people who've helped um, be part of something relatively new. I mean, this is only the second season. Um, we are almost through the second season, but they they came and gave of their time, and I'll, we are grateful for the emails. We're grateful for the donations, and um, it's validated what the original idea was. The original idea was to to teach more about Catholicism to a large group of people. We have that listenership. We have a listenership of in over 20 countries at this point, and we want to continue to grow that. And we're obviously open to your suggestions, your thoughts. We've given out you know, the telephone number. We've given out um, the, the Twitter handle. But you can also mail us, mail at truerestoration.org. Share your thoughts, topics you'd like to see, shows you'd like to see, um, priests you'd like us to interview. Oftentimes, you know, people don't realize we we don't know every priest ever. We don't have their contact information, telephone number, email, and sometimes they're not very responsive when you try to reach out. But if one of you reaches out on our behalf, then it makes it a little easier for us to make that contact sometimes. So that's something that um, we can put out there for you all. If you... If you want content, uh, reach out. It's the same. It's the way that Nicholas and I met in the first place. He was writing great content. I commented on his page. Um, we started to build a relationship there, and then you know, here we are today, uh, seven. How many years later at this point? I suppose eight years later. Um, coming up this November, um, will be will be uh, will have been eight years since True Restoration originally started and more than eight years since Tradizio and Radice started, which was the inspiration for True Restoration in the first place. Nicholas, any other thoughts before uh, we let you get back to your vacation with your children this week? No, I I don't think so. (laughs) I've got 17 boxes of laminate flooring waiting for me upstairs as well. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, so it's it's a working vacation then. we also definitely want to give our shout-out to Wendy, um, who's uh, one of our, our newest volunteers. She's been helping with our social media and news archive. And, of course, Justin Soder, who joined us midway through this season, who's been a really great help. We appreciate you, Justin, and I, I know our listeners and guests um, do as well. Um, most importantly, I, I suppose, before we close, we want to make sure that you realize we do ask for donations very often, but realistically, apart from donations, the biggest donation that anyone can make that doesn't cost anything except your time is prayers. And uh, there was a great show that Justin did this last week on The Angelus um, about incorporating a specific prayer into your daily life that isn't very long. But we would just ask, you know, if you maybe, uh, if you're doing The Angelus or you're doing some kind of daily devotion, that you remember us, remember our work, remember our apostolate, pray for it to be sustainable, pray for it to grow, and and with those prayers and with donations, we know that we will be able to. 
If you have any other thoughts or questions, as I said before, you can email us, mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. Otherwise, if you go to truerestoration.org, you'll see all of our work and the donate button at the bottom. And we will have our regular schedule of shows next month, Devotions with Bishop Dolan, Clerical Conversations on the Crisis, Catholic History with Charles Coulomb, and this show, True Restoration, which is our flagship show of the network. For those of you who are wondering why we weren't able to do our Clerical Conversations show this month um, and our and our regularly scheduled True Restoration, um, Bishop Sanborn's uh, mother, Kathleen, had passed away this last week, and they have to they had to do some requiem preparation. So we would ask for your prayers, and I posted on True Restoration today ways that you can um, remember Mrs. Sanborn. Apart from obviously remembering her in your prayers, you could have a sanctuary lamp lit for her either at your parish or SGG Resources has a way that you can do that or get a mass said for her. Um, I, I think that would be a way to show your appreciation for everything that Bishop Sanborn has been doing um, for us this season. Thanks again for listening to True Restoration number zero on the Restoration Radio Network. Uh, you have been listening to myself, Stephen Heiner, as well as Nicholas Wansbutter, and we will see you next month. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.